0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Then Again. I am Libba Beecham, Interim Executive Director at the Northeast Georgia History Center, and I have a very exciting episode today because we're going to be discussing at least the world of one of my favorite books, 1984 by George Orwell. But the exciting thing is, is that the Gainesville Theater Alliance is producing a play adaptation of Orwell's most famous work of fiction and we're going to be discussing that today. And so I highly encourage all of you to check out the Gainesville Theater Alliance and the production of 1984. Now I will, we have two guests today and I'm going to have them briefly introduce themselves. Uh, So could we start with uh, Zachariah Pierce?
1: Yes, hello, my name is Zachariah Pierce. I'm the Artistic Director for the Gainesville Theater Alliance and I'm also the Associate Director for the School of Communication, Film and Theater at University of North Georgia. And I'm also the Director for the play.
0: Ah, wonderful, wonderful and we also have with us Dr. Jeff Marker.
2: Hi, uh, I'm a professor of film at the University of North Georgia and the director of the School of Communication Film and Theater. Happy to be here.
0: Yes, thanks so much for being here. So 1984, this was a book that I was really intrigued by uh, during my college days and it has really stuck with me, and I've, I've read it multiple times at this point, but I've never seen a play production, and I can imagine that this would be a very exciting project for young theater artists and something that is maybe a bit outside the norm of what we've seen in the Gainesville theater scene. Maybe you can touch on that if that's, if that's true or not, but when deciding the Gainesville Theater Alliance's season, uh, what drew y'all to 1984 specifically, and, and maybe we could start with Zachariah.
1: Sure, yeah. The story, you know, like any good piece of literature, seems to always be relevant no matter what time you're in, and that's definitely the case with 1984. And um, particularly, the aspects of the the story that interested me in terms of direction was surveillance culture and how we as a society would probably completely shock George Orwell in terms of the amount of tech and recording of ourselves and our lives and how, how we put that out on a public space like we do. And I was just really curious as to looking at our culture through that lens, through the story of 1984. And that was kind of the, the sort of a seed that was planted at the beginning of choosing this play um, a little over a year ago for this season.
0: And is this a typical selection for the Gainesville Theater Alliance? Or or is it a bit more exploratory and expansive for a topic?
1: Uh, It's definitely a little more exploratory. This whole season has been, we've kind of delved into some topics that we don't typically do as heavily per one season. Um, You know, we've had our, our theater for young audiences uh, show through wonder quest, the pirate queen um, obviously has all of the, the lovely uh, glitter and magic that our, our theater for young audiences shows have, but we definitely had a darker comedy for you in town. The title itself is, is a hard sell. And then, <laughs> and then a George Bernard Shaw piece with Pygmalion, uh, which is not as a recognizable of a title. And then of course, we're wrapping up the season with the very jovial 1984. So uh, the whole season as a, well, as a whole has been a little bit more exploratory into some harder subjects. And, uh, and we're certainly ending our season on that uh, topic as well.
0: Yeah, that's really exciting. And, and Jeff, talk to us about how you got involved in the Gainesville Theater Alliance.
2: I'm involved, I guess, because we had a little bit of restructuring uh, within UNG. And so I, I used to be the head of the communication, media and journalism department that had film and all of those programs that are in the title. And we merged with theater uh, to form the School of Communication, Film and Theater. And so now, you know, the UNG portion of Gainesville Theater Alliance is sort of housed within our school, but I, I couldn't be happier to to be involved and pitch in in this way.
0: Yeah, I mean that sounds really exciting. So, uh talk to me about what a show like 1984 might offer the students who are pursuing uh, possible careers afterwards in theater. I'd love to hear from you, Jeff, on how 1984 might offer them something different that they haven't experienced before as performers and students
2: it's quite interesting it might clarify a lot of things just to sort of say how i you know got pulled into this particular production a lot of my research in the past has been in surveillance and cinema you know which which means you have to sort of know film studies which is my background but then you have to sort of become a quasi expert in surveillance studies, which is more of a sort of sociological and political field by and large. And like you, I really, the book itself means a lot to me. I've read it multiple times. And so when Zechariah, all he had to do was mention that uh, it might be nice to have a dramaturg for the production. I said, well, that's right in my wheelhouse. And so so the surveillance theory that sort of factors into the book and then the play adaptation, and really what's interesting about Orwell, not only with this novel, as as I'm sure you know, it's not only popular and still relevant sort of among readers, he actually fed the surveillance studies discipline itself. I mean, we, you know, sort of refer to this book as uh, just sort of a dramatization of a lot of core concepts for what we what we do and the way we think about all of these things. And so, yeah, it was it was sort of um, as research goes, this was low hanging fruit. I I could draw on a lot of things that I had done. And it was uh, it was kind of nice to get back to uh, to that thinking. Now that my life has kind of been consumed, my working life has been kind of consumed with administration for a number of years.
0: Right. Well, that's that seems like so serendipitous that you had that background in surveillance and then here comes 1984 and and like you said there's so many connections that can be made throughout history and the present time to what is so called orwellian. I mean, a, a lot of people see that as a cliche in a sense, but it's a cliche for a reason because there really are so many connections that can be made and I'd love to dive into that. So For anyone who's unfamiliar with the plot of 1984, Zechariah, I know it's a bit to summarize it, but sort of set up what is the world of this book and this play, and where will audiences find themselves uh, during the play?
1: Uh, So, specifically speaking to the play, because the play is is certainly a small uh, version of the book. Obviously, we we couldn't do a, a dramatic reading of the book; it would take a much longer time, but. But uh, you know, we basically open on our main protagonist, uh, Winston Smith, who's in this world where he's basically just living his day-to-day life in his office that is part of the initiative to basically erase language and replace it with you know, party-approved terminology that eventually allows or disallows for any kind of free thought or free speech. And he uh, is introduced to a young woman, uh, Julia, who is brought in by this party member and he falls in love and they have a relationship. And so they take a chance on a forbidden relationship that they think is supported by the person that introduces them. And then they soon find that everything they try to yearn for and to seek and to start anew is thwarted by the very world and the oppressive sort of governing body that we call Big Brother in Oceania that sort of keeps them from being able to reach that freedom that they sought to escape
0: to. Yeah. I, I mean, that's something that there's so much darkness within the world and despair and just grittiness really. And I, what I found in the book to be that I was so drawn to was that even in this world, characters or people like, like Winston, can still have some kind of hope or still have some kind of motivation to seek out love, you know, seek out freedom, seek out even just having your own thoughts. I mean, if anyone is familiar with 1984, we we kind of know that, you know, at least I have my interior thoughts. But do you even have that, Winston? <sighs> it's so sad. But I'm curious since, you know, I learned about 1984 and read about it earlier in my 20s. Uh, Zechariah, what was your first encounter with the book? Did you read it early on or is this somewhat new to you?
1: This is actually a new for my for my own experience it was not actually part of my sort of high school education that that um, uh, I guess my high school took a different direction in terms of this particular novel. But it's always been a part of the sort of cultural ethos in terms of you know we're going to call things Orwellian well what does that mean and mm-hmm. and you know the the big brother is watching that's always something that is kind of in the mind even if you're not super familiar with the story you kind of get the idea that's behind that phrase and last year the last show i had directed was our town and that was such an interesting experience for me as a director because we really focused on The idea of being present and in the moment and with the people around you. And uh, we took this sort of purge from technology as a cast during that process. And we found so much wisdom through that process of being able to connect to the the here and now and the flesh in front of me rather than sort of diving back into distraction and, and social media and the constant sort of technology that is making things convenient for us, but maybe disconnecting us in a way that that isn't healthy or helpful as a, as a general culture or society. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of led me to the idea of like, well, what, what else, how can I explore that idea more, Uh, which is what led me to, well, it's not just disconnecting me from the world in front of me, but it's also altering my ability to view it. And then it's viewing me. And then what does that mean? And who else is viewing me and all the implications that go along with that and how willingly we are just, ready to jump into that and give up all of that freedom and that privacy and all of that. And it seems to be, you know, there's been a lot of things in the culture that have been talking about that. You know, we're we're concerned about a giant spy balloon, but yet the thing next to me is listening to far more than that spy <laughs> balloon could ever get. Um, and and so it was that sort of idea that sort of got me interested in the story. And and so then diving into the play was sort of my dipping my toe in and then diving in full full immersion.
0: Yeah, I, I. That was interesting. The comparison between you know, I. If anyone said, "Ah, oh, I'm going to compare our town to 1984," I would, I would be confused. But you're totally right. I mean, our town is about those interpersonal relationships that you build over time, and sort of the slice of life. What's really important in life, and yet in 1984, I mean, you can't even trust the people you're you know, your children. <laughs> you can't right. even trust your husband or wife, mm-hmm. and so those interpersonal relationships are really just, those vast distances because of this surveillance and everybody sort of on their toes, always trying to make sure that they at least look like they are the best uh, citizen. And it's interesting that you, uh, so these things that come into question are about our time now and technology and our, I mean, I, I don't think anyone would disagree that we're a bit addicted to technology because of how much it offers. So I'm sure with audiences, when they're coming to see 1984, it will likely put our own time into perspective, I'm sure. And, and Jeff, I, I wanted to go to you about your research for 1984, the dramaturgical research. And I wonder, can you first, can you talk to us about that research and the connections that we can make to actual history versus the fictional world of 1984? And we can maybe start there.
2: Sure. And I hope this doesn't get too convoluted. Uh, so the the novel was originally published in 1949. And so, you know, we're fresh off of World War Two when the whole world saw what fascism uh, could look like, you know, including all of the sort of surveillance of Germany's own citizens and all the occupied territories and, and such. But now we're entering the Cold War. Stalin's doing what he did. And so I think Orwell sort of drew on both of those figures and the whole sort of state apparatuses they set up. As far as the imagery goes, I think Stalin might have actually been a little bit more important. And um, see, I said it was going to get convoluted, didn't I? So, you know, his setting at the time of 1949, uh, you know, he's setting in 1984. This is 35 years into the future. So now here we are 39 years after 1984. It's the past for us. And this is something Zechariah and I like have gone on rabbit trails talking about. So, you know, so much of the the surveillance that's depicted in 1984, you know, Big Brother is really what we call panoptic surveillance. You know, you've got sort of a centralized government gaze going out to as many citizens as possible. And it's about sort of uh, disciplining everyone, which is, of course, one of the major preoccupations of the whole novel and play. But I know that Zachariah is more I- interested in how all of those things have sort of developed. So here we are, you know, 39 years after 1984, and we don't just have sort of, say, a North Korean style, sort of centralized panoptic surveillance going on. We all carry a bug in our pockets, you know, and <laughs> a camera in our pockets, and we offer up. All sorts of data every time we shop and every time we move, you know, all those kinds of things. And so, there's all these other kinds of uh, sort of surveillance gazes pointed at us. But then we can point them at other people too. That's sort of the power of the technology too. And so it it's all so complicated uh, when you start to to sort of try to parse all of this out. Uh, So as far as real world events, we know what Orwell was drawing on. Then you've got two playwrights. Who adapted this in 2013 and now here we are 10 years later producing it and so what exactly do you want to draw on i think you've got loads of that you, you sort of have a, a host of things you could choose to be more inspired by in ways to interpret the material which i, I think Zechariah has a pretty clear point of view on that i like.
0: yeah yeah and Zechariah, right, if you'd you like know. to jump in feel free
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, kind of moving from that panoptical model to the synoptical model, of where we're all sort of spying on one, right? Where we can we can really literally check in on someone at the you know touch of a screen, Mm -hmm. and the implication there, that kind of and, and the power that that is, that that gives each individual is so palpable. And then with the combination of that power spread across you know groups of people. Being able to sort of influence and steer culture in any way that that power then desires to go, it was really a part of what interested me about the surveillance culture. And sort of, you know, spoiler alert: the question that I ask going into this play is, "Who is Big Brother?" Mm -hmm. Um, and 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 why are we doing that now? Right? Why this way? Why now? And my, what I'm asking audiences to analyze is perhaps have we become Big Brother? Right through that ability to take on that role of of surveillance on everyone else, while then participating, giving everyone else that power to watch over us in that sense, and it it is convoluted and it's it has so many different implications, and and not all of them are bad, and some of them are really wonderful, and and that's what makes it so much harder, right? Because it's not just like you know, meth is bad, don't do it, right? It's right. like it's a different, it's not it's not that easy, right? And and it's been interesting going through this process because the cast and I, we started that challenge of like, hey guys, let's, let's disconnect, get off of social media, stop watching the news. Let's just be present in this process. And let's see how that informs, Mm -hmm. um, our artistic collaboration and the, the nature of the ensemble. And, and perhaps hopefully as artists, we, we hope that the work that we do then expands beyond just the play and the thing that we're doing. And I've had a lot of students come up to me and go, gosh, you know, I, I'm reading I'm, I'm getting my homework done early and I'm having better relationship with my family and my friends. And I just, I, I'm not as anxious day to day Mm, anymore, right? Those that really took into it. And so I was, I was really taken back because it shows how, how much that affects our day to day psyche of, of how we interact with everything else. With how much space that takes up in our, our own mind and how much weight we give what is coming across and how I'm comparing this image to another image that I'm seeing and judging and then, and then judging myself by that. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I've just been so moved by how, you know, certain students who, you know, not all of them did it, right. Some of them roll their eyes and go, yeah, okay, dad, whatever. I'm not going to get off social media, but, but, um, but the ones that have, have, have really come back to me and said, this, this has been a really wonderful experiment. And I, I think I'm going to keep Trying that out, right? I want I want that experiment to go beyond, right? And it's not a complete cold turkey thing, but it's it's realizing the effect and the power that it has, and and then going, okay, I need to I need to moderate that a little bit more, right? I need to practice temperance in these certain areas that help me become a better person,
0: um, right? And yeah. so
1: so that process itself has been you know worth the price of admission, and then <laughs> you know the implications of of 1984 and beyond that, you know. A little bit of Frankenstein's monster that we create in our own selves, and it's like, can we reel that back in, and as a as a whole, release ourselves from that influence and from that from that overlording that we perpetuate ourselves.
0: Right, and it's you know at at this point, uh, you know, social media has become such a something that we just accept as a as a tool of everyday life. And so there's a safe kind of feeling with social media and the technologies that are constantly surveilling us. And so, I, yeah, I bet that, you know, seeing something like 1984 or even reading 1984 and getting that example of what these things are like to the most extreme in the in the worst (laughs) possible way can really help us just get glimpses into our everyday life of how we do need to i guess uh, survey ourselves in a a sense and monitor our, our own behavior because of the technology being so powerful and of course the influence of social media And wanting to be a part of your tribe, you know, and protected by that tribe and your social circles and getting that affirmation from likes and and everything. Those are really powerful influences. And I honestly had not made the connection to social media and, you know, the 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 world of 1984 but in a lot of ways you know the main character winston he is oftentimes witnessing people that are almost uh, hysterical with rage you know collectively or hysterical with joy collectively and because they feel that this is what everybody ought to do and it's what it's it's sort of like um in a sense, there's been this phrase of of signaling, you know, uh, your your values and everything, and, and, and in a way, that's kind of what you're always supposed to do because you're always being watched. Now, it's um, performative, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, performative. Yeah, that's that's precisely the word.
2: I wonder if you know one of one of the things that I think is interesting about what you both just said. You know, we think of Big Brother. Like, even if you haven't read the book, you've never seen the play, you've seen the movie, everybody knows. Thinks they know what Big Brother is, right? Yeah. (laughs) It just crosses that around. And it's universally negative connotations. And the connotations are not only sort of invasive, sort of government or uh, surveillance or some powerful entity, you know, invading your your private space, but it also comes with propaganda. Mm -hmm. So think about when you, social media is a big piece of it, but also when you choose certain news outlets. When you go online and you, and you shop, I don't know if people understand, algorithms are completely all the time shaping your experience when you're interacting on the internet. It's not really a free space. Yeah. It's certainly not a free space when you are shopping, you know, you're being fed certain things. It's really interesting. I gave a talk related to this I don't know, a week or two ago and someone came up to me afterward and they're convinced that their phone is listening to them. And it's because they'll be talking to, you know, husband and wife would be talking to each other about something. Maybe we should think about this. And then suddenly an ad pops up next Mm -hmm. time you get onto that shopping site. Your phone is not listening to you. Amazon doesn't have time to listen to you (laughs) through the microphone on your phone, right? But the algorithms are so good at tracking all of your interests and all of your activity. They can predict Mm -hmm. that you're also going to be interested in this other thing, so, what exactly is the difference? You know, Oceania feeds you a certain point of view on all information that you receive. Well, so do the algorithms. You right. know, so so does um, you know, so a combination of your choices and the way your choices are sort of fed back to you. So, and we willingly offer up that information and sort of open the door to that invasive uh, sort of surveillance, whereas we still. Big Brother's—you know—it's an insult. I'm—I'm I'm outraged uh, when I'm using the term Big Brother.
0: Right. No, that's a—that's an excellent connection, and I—I'm sure that you know. Of course, the—the the technology itself being so convenient for us, being so—I mean, it's—it gives us that really like that dopamine rush, you know, that when we see that like, when we see that someone has shared something that we've created you know, or when we're advertised a product that, I mean, I have definitely experienced Instagram knows what kind of clothing I like, you know, and I got to admit it works. <laughs> so yeah, these algorithms are sophisticated and, and to a, to an extent you can say, okay, well, you know, I can understand advertisers wanting to, you know, know what to advertise to me. Cause like I said, a lot of the time it's, you're right. I like that print, you know, but how those tools can be used in such in that in that extreme opposite way, and uh, I think that it's easy to dismiss it when it's just an advertisement for a cute dress. But you know, there's probably so much more information and data that we really don't comprehend the the amount <laughs> that we are being analyzed and and surveyed in all of these different ways. I mean. I'm sure that even just like joining the Wi-Fi at a coffee shop or something can lead to or, or you know a store or something can lead to these instances of being surveilled in everyday life. So it, it's interesting that you you're going to you know present this world to an audience that seems so unlike our own and yet I'm sure like many readers of 1984, they will make those connections afterwards and really put things into perspective. Now, going into the actual play production, I'm curious about the world that you are building on that stage and what the process has been like for the set design and the dramaturgical research behind it. And if y'all are not familiar with what exactly that means, essentially, you know, if you have a if we're if we're talking about 1930s great depression then of course we want our props and clothing and everything to be 1930s depression but this is a totally fictional world so so jeff how did you approach the dramaturgical research uh, behind 1984
2: right it's sort of in terms of the setting it's nowhere and everywhere uh, <laughs> it's no when and every when mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like this it's sort of familiar now the same way that was familiar in 1949 it would have been sort of speculative fiction in 1949 but now unfortunately it's a pretty accurate description and in fact i i, I sort of here's a quote from the two playwrights robert ick and uh duncan mcmillan who adapted it they said we're not trying to be willfully assaultive or exploitatively shock people but there's nothing here or in the disturbing novel that isn't happening right now mm-hmm. somewhere around the world yeah. you know so i I don't think it would have done us a whole lot of good to sort of couch the whole thing in 1949. Right. (laughs) Any particular place. I think what Zechariah wanted to do was make it seem like, yeah, this is 2023, or at least, you know, here's where we might be 30 years from 2023. Mm. In the same sort of spirit of this is really familiar, and yet it's going to be timeless as well. I didn't do heavy research into... George Orwell or the playwrights. And I think that's kind of the philosophical or aesthetic approach. Mm-hmm. And I think Zechariah and I agree on this. I, I'm not a big intentional instructor. Like when you teach a literary or a filmic text, I don't really care what the filmmaker or the, the novelist wanted to say. It's ours now, you know, yeah, all, yeah. <laughs> that art is in the world and we can all do with it what we want to do. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really... Lean too heavily into what Orwell intended and what influenced him so much. Although, again, the Stalin stuff was so helpful to me. You know, in a reading recommendation, let me get the title of this right. Who is this seller? Anita Pish. God bless her. She published a book called The Personality Cult of Stalin in Soviet Posters.
0: Mm, And it's
2: hundreds of pages of actual propaganda posters of the Stalin era. And it's quite amazing. So to me, that was really a, an important part of the research. And then we mostly try to just sort of keep that sort of ambiguous setting and make sure that it's focused on the ideas being expressed and let everybody do with it what they want. You know, Zechariah and, and, uh, and the company will produce the play and then the viewers can do with it what they want.
0: Exactly right. And, and Zechariah um, as the director where did you begin with the overall tone, or I almost want to say vibe <laughs> that you wanted with uh, <laughs> with the with the play? I mean, as a director, where do you even begin with that? I mean, you've you've read the play. Yeah. Now what? <laughs>
1: right, right. Well, I think vibe is the right word for that. Actually, I, you know, a lot of it came from so because of so much of that seed coming from sort of a, a suspicion of technology or or how that's developed in our culture and our dependency on it. There was a lot of imagery I had in my mind that was, you know, what is a, you know, what does an abandoned Kmart look like 50 mm-hmm. years after it's never been filled, right? Uh, yeah. What what do, you know, the landfills look like after, you know, another hundred years of batteries being dropped off mm-hmm. there, you know, these, this kind of throwaway culture that we we've become in terms of like wait, there's a new there's a new iPhone. Hang mm-hmm. on, let me throw this one away and get that one. right. And so to me when I was talking to our uh, scenic designer, Dennis Malden, who's a, a pretty frequent flyer on our guest artist list, you know, we really wanted to explore what those spaces look like while also being on some of our heaviest budget cuts, in the theater probably in gta's history
0: um
1: so we had to sort of think creatively in terms of okay what do we have in stock how can Mm -hmm. we make this look you know really good but not blow the bank on it because the bank is not as full as it used to be um and so so and we're also designing it in the three-quarter thrust as opposed to the proscenium and the and the uh, the adaptation we're using actually has a lot of direction for proscenium so we have to kind of disregard a lot of the suggestions that the playwright adapters had suggested to us because we're not even
2: in a similar theater that they write in
0: that's interesting i I, I, I suppose it'll be a oh oh, go ahead yeah
2: no it's cracking me up now because now i think about the beginning of the play they are really specific you know this is what down center means i thought about that
0: yeah yeah <laughs> well, well i it, mean it, it's interesting that you that you chose a thrust setting i mean that's going to be so much more intimate for the audience i would imagine
1: well and that's and that's intentional right this idea that it's not just you know removed from the audience but we are actually entering into the audience and it's much more up front and center with what is happening and you know people on the front row hey look there's a little light spillage you're in this world mm-hmm. and that was also part of the scenic design's intention was how do we how do we make not just people entering a theater to watch 1984 but how can we make the theater part of that world and and that starts from when they enter the building before they even get into the theater and yeah. and so you know there's there's lots of sort of metal and rust treatment and paint and we've got we're using five different cameras and five different screens to sort of give a digital presence as well as the live presence that you know is so integral to our theatrical performance art form but also that digital presence is also very crucial to the story and to the message that we're trying to get across as well so so between sort of a minimalistic setting where we have you know desks with lights that can shift to help with some of the minimal scenery changes and the the screens themselves having their own presence, right? The cameras are a- almost cast members themselves right. because their <laughs> presence is felt throughout the entire time. And then our sound designer, Preston Goodson, who's another uh, guest artist of ours uh, that we brought on for this project, took a lot of inspiration in his sound design from the HBO miniseries, Chernobyl. Oh, uh, and, yeah. and something he talked about in our um, stage tours was he was really interested in the oppression of space right? So it's like you're sitting in that room with a generator and then the generator goes off and all of a sudden you feel how the the generator went off and how much space that took up in your mind. And so, and he was also inspired by the fact that, you know, the Chernobyl soundtrack and a lot of the sound design from that show used actual sounds from nuclear power plants and the world around that to actually create a lot of the soundscape for it. And so he started to do that similarly here with, you know, the electric buzz and screens and, and then co- like fans and that kind of thing. So that there's an underlying presence of something that you don't really notice until it's turned off.
0: Right. Um, right.
1: And that that's kind of part of the design that's filling the minimal scenic elements and then, you know, taking the inspiration from the screens themselves and and all of the presence that, that they also bring to the room.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it, what you just said, it almost, I mean, it connects to what we were talking about earlier when, you know, your students, your performers have, Uh, some of them decided to take a break from social media and they may not, and they've probably experienced that, you know, oh, this is what it's like when I don't have that, that hum of social media or that distraction in my life to introduce the audience into this world where it's very, you know, industrial in this sort of wasteland kind of uh, uh, setting. Yeah. Again, going to really, be a, an opportunity to compare and contrast the feeling that the visceral feeling that you get when in that kind of environment, surrounded by these sounds, surrounded by these me- the metal and the textures. And of course, the play itself, the story taking place is just bringing all of that to the surface. And um, I'm really curious to know how the performers, the students themselves have related to this process. Have there been any particular challenges uh, with this play for the young performers?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, um, as with any play for young performers, there's always some kind of challenge. I think, you know, A, you know, I mentioned sort of the challenge that I gave them in terms of sort of disconnecting, and a bunch of them did actually take that, and I talked about that a little bit, but it's, you know, it's an incredibly dark story Mm -hmm. you know spoiler alert it's not a happy ending (laughs) and and that's always a hard thing to engage with as an actor and a creative team particularly when it's a you know five to six week rehearsal process it's like okay man a month of darkness that's hard Mm. yeah and so in conjunction with my philosophy that anything that is dramatic needs to be balanced with levity Mm -hmm. we did have to find those moments in the play that had levity that had hope that had humor so that it's not just, you know, kicking a dead horse for two and a half hours (laughs) in the evening. It's like, you know, we have to balance that out so that they're, that we're, that we're at a meal that we're able to kind of digest different aspects of it. And then the levity actually leaves room for us to sort of feel the, the heaviness more palpably. And so that's been, that's been really intentional in our rehearsal process in terms of really going, okay, let's, let's leave this one alone. We're not going to do the rat torture scene again tonight. Let's work on some of these lighter scenes and sort of bring some of the other stuff. Um,
0: what a great out of context phrase. You know? That's
1: right. Yeah. That's just a little a little Easter egg to kind yeah. of you know see if you want to know what that's about. Um, yeah. We open on Friday, so come ch- check us out. Right, right. Um, and also, you know, we have an intimacy director, Michael Jablonski, who's one of, who's the musical theater coordinator on the theater side of Brnau has been so integral in helping us, you know, navigate our students' boundaries in terms of how they can use the work authentically, Mm -hmm. but within their abilities and within their boundaries and working with each other. And so that's been really, really helpful as well.
0: Wonderful. And as a director, I mean, what is it, has this play presented something very different for you as a director, something that's a bit new and, and your own challenges in the directing process?
1: Absolutely. So my background outside of uh, film, my background in live performance is actually through clown and circus and uh, movement theater.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. And so
1: I love a good comedy. And somehow I got stuck with 1984 this year, <laughs> which is not a comedy. And, you know, my students will laugh at me because there'll be moments where I'm trying to block something and I'm like, oh, that'd be funny if you did this. I'm like, but that's not this play. So I have to direct a different version of that at another time. So I'll, I'll file that joke away and then and get to the meat and potatoes of what the actual scene calls for. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's definitely a, a little bit of a, a divergence in the wood for me topically and, and aesthetically. And, uh, but it's been good because I, again, I. I always say that sometimes, especially as a performer and as an actor myself, you know, I, I always find that comedians also make really great tragedy and tra- dramatic actors. Yes, there um, you go. <laughs> so, anyway, going through another joke in my head. But, but yeah, so I always find that to be, I found that to be something that I also kind of like to sink my teeth into as well as a director. Um, yeah. That, that, you know, if you can find some of the nuance of humor, you can actually dive into something a little bit more dramatic, perhaps with a little bit more grace and ease.
0: Absolutely. And when it comes to what y'all want the audience to to take away, I'd love to hear both of your perspectives. You know, once they see the play, what do you hope that they leave with? And perhaps we could start with you, Jeff.
2: Gosh, it's pretty dense and layered, you know, so I, ho- hopefully they leave with a lot. I hope they leave remembering that two plus two really is four. Like, <laughs> no one regardless of the tactics, um, should dissuade you from from knowing that.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent way to to put it. And of course, for those unfamiliar, come see the play, and you'll really get <laughs> what Jeff means by that. Zechariah, how about for you? What do you hope audiences will take away?
1: Yeah, I mean, in addition to uh, my hopes that anyone who comes across this story, or particularly our version of it, you know, challenges themselves to disconnect and be present, with those in front of you uh, because that's the easiest way to remember that 2 plus 2 is 4 if you're not being fed an algorithm but in addition to that I'm I'm really hoping that and what's interesting is I keep having these conversations with different people from all walks of life and demographics and ideological leanings and everyone that I talk to says oh you're doing 1984 what a perfect story for this time and they're on different ends of the you know the yeah. political spectrum and You know, my hope is that instead of constantly pointing the finger at, you know, this is about those group of people or this people or this person that I disagree with, I want people to look at themselves and go, how have I contributed to this story and what can I do to help collectively with the people and humans that I exist with to avoid you know, the ending to be two plus two is five. How can we all sort of work together in that sense and and not just point fingers at who I disagree
0: with? Absolutely. Well, I am really looking forward to seeing the play. Uh, please give us the, the details on where to go to get tickets and where to go to actually see the play.
1: Absolutely. Well, you can get tickets on the Gainesville Theatre website, which is the Gainesville, uh, Gainesville Theatre, T-R-E, Theatre, Theater org. You can get your tickets on there. We open this Friday, the 14th, and run through the following Saturday, the 22nd.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And we're,
1: and we're performing at the, uh, this uh, we perform on both UNG and Bernal campuses, but this performance is at the UNG Ed Cabell Theater in
0: Excellent. Gainesville campus. Excellent. Well, well, guys, is there anything else that you would like to share before we uh, conclude today?
1: Oh, we covered it all, I think. All Thank right. you so much for having us. Oh, yeah.
0: Thank you. Then Again is a production of the Northeast Georgia History Center in Gainesville, Georgia. Our podcast is edited by media producer Guada Rodriguez. Our digital and on-site programs are made possible by the Ada Mae Ivester Education Center. Please join us next week for another episode of Then Again.